Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. For today's episode, I'm really excited to interview the face behind the Femme House brand, Vanessa Aguirre. Vanessa is an Airbnb super host who has been hosting remotely for close to two years. She's based in Chicago and has a Scottsdale property and a Nashville property, and both of them are the ultimate girls getaway. They are completely branded to be bachelorette houses. She's hosted over 100 bachelorette parties to date throughout both of her listings, and I happened to stumble upon one of her reels on Instagram and instantly fell in love with the entire brand, all the decor the whole concept that she has for both of the homes. And I just DM'd her and asked her to come on. I knew that I had to have her. If you guys have listened to previous episodes, you know that I really think that niching can be so valuable. And you know, there is always that fear that you're going to push away certain guests, but I really believe at the end of the day, it's worth it to find your people who are really meant to be in your space, who you are catering to exactly a certain type of clientele. You know, with Airbnbs, you do not have to sell millions upon millions of iPhones or something like that. Your product only has 365 nights available. That's it. If you think about it that way, it takes away a lot of the pressure of having to try to be everything for everyone, which I think ultimately is unsuccessful. In our interview with Vanessa today, you're going to see the whole thought process that went into niching, any problems she runs into with occupancy on weeknights or certain seasons, and how she's thought through those things and made a really conscious decision to own the niche that she has entered. So without further ado, let's dive into the interview. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Natalie. Um, yeah, so I'm Vanessa. I am an Airbnb super host, and I own two bachelorette-themed Airbnbs, as Natalie said, one in Nashville, one in Scottsdale, um, which I host remotely from Chicago. And really, when I decided that I wanted to get into Airbnb, it was something that I had wanted to do for years. Um, I just, I love the travel industry in general, and it was something that I just felt like I had enough experience for my own travels to really be able to provide great hospitality. Um, And I just also really love branding and marketing. So for me, like that was one aspect of the business that I knew I was going to have a lot of fun with and it it was going to be really enjoyable for me. So when you say you love branding and marketing, do you work in that as your day job or is this just a hobby of yours? Like what made you so confident that you could pull this off in these themed rentals? Yeah. So I still have my nine to five. Um, I actually, I sell marketing software for a living. So I do have a background in marketing myself and just a general interest in it. So for me, that was like a really big part of it. When, when thinking about 
my Airbnbs before I started. I knew I wanted to have like a top Airbnb that people knew about by name. Like that was like a big thing for me. I'm like, I want a branded property that um, people know and recognize. So why Nashville and Scottsdale specifically? And what was like the order of that? Did both come about at the same time? Or are you taking these on one at a time? Um, I'm just curious since you're based in Chicago. Yeah. So we did not do, we did one at a time. um, And we started with Nashville and with me being based in Chicago, we we knew that we wanted to start with a property that would be easy to get to. Um, Nashville's only an hour flight from Chicago, so we really made the decision to start there because it was a to- it is a top Airbnb market and you know very fairly easy to get to if if something were to go wrong. Um, yeah, so that's how we made the decision with Nashville um, and and kind of how I would say we got into the niche of bachelorettes um, specifically. So once we made the decision to to move forward with a property in Nashville, I really thought to myself, okay, when I think of Nashville, what do I think about? I think about Broadway, I think about music, and I think about bachelorettes. Um, Nashville is a huge hotspot for bachelorettes. Um, Last year, there was over 13,000 bachelorettes in Nashville. So the biggest in the country. I thought to myself, how am I going to compete with all of these professionally designed Airbnbs? This is our first time getting into it. Um, I'm not a professional interior designer, and we were not going to hire out to have the place professionally designed. So I thought to myself, rather than trying to compete with everyone, I mean, let me just try to make our place like a very, very um, specific for a very specific target audience, and make it be like the best aesthetic for that specific audience. So. When designing it, I just thought to myself, what would I want at my bachelorette? What what would, you know, fun wallpapers, neon signs, murals for an Instagrammable moment, for example. Um, and really, I just, that's kind of where it came from. First of all, I'm going to link your listings and your socials below, your Instagram and everything. Uh, but I really want people to go check out your listings at- pause this and go look at them and then come back so you can reference all the amenities and design aspects Vanessa's talking about. But I mean, you went hard on the murals, neon signs, wallpaper. It's so cute and so well done. The one thing I have to question you about is I saw that you had like one mural in the Scottsdale one that says I do crew. And you've that to me, I don't know what it was, but that one spoke to me that like you are really committed to this because the besides that, I feel like the whole rest of the theme could just cater to like girls groups or birthday parties. But the I do crew is like, this is bachelorette parties. If you are not a bachelorette, don't bother. And so with that one specifically, was there like a thought process that went into like, okay, we're officially cutting out any other options for girl groups? Like, is this a risk we want to take? Yeah. So with Scottsdale, it was a hundred percent intentional. So with Nashville, I would say like we mainly host bachelorettes and maybe we've hosted like two birthday parties. So it's like pretty much all bachelorettes. So when we decided to expand in Nashville, now that, that everything about Scottsdale was very intentional. The location, it's another bachelorette hotspot and the design even. So going a hundred percent in, um, I was like, I'm not afraid to do it because it's working in Nashville. It's going to work here. Um, and I wanted it to like scream, this is a bachelorette house. And even when I started, I, I told my husband, I'm like, we're going to do a bachelorette mural. He's like, no, we're not. I'm like, no, we're doing it. I would tell my friends and they're like, are you like nervous? You're going to, you're basically going to like exclude everyone else from the house. And I'm like, 
it's fine. It's going to book. It's another bachelorette hotspot. I was so confident about it. And it, it does fill up every weekend with bachelorettes. How, how is it when it comes to midweek bookings or if it's not wedding season, you know, and, and people aren't doing bachelorette parties as much, how has that been? Yeah. So we, we run at about 50% occupancy rate. So really our, our bread and butter is going to be that Thursday, Thursday to Monday is really our main hosting days. And then we will get the occasional one to two weekday bookings. Um, so overall we're at 50%, but we've priced it to where, you know, we know where the weekends are basically where the money's at in, in terms of our pricing strategy. Um, and we just kind of consider the weekdays as like icing on the cake, honestly. But when it comes to the fact that it's so themed out and so specific, and we're really kind of trying to market to the girl that wants to have like the ultimate bachelorette, she's going all out. She wants to be the one that gets the house on her on that weekend that she's planning for her stay um, in Scottsdale or in Nashville. Um, What we've found is that we're actually able to charge like the rates are for our three bedroom in Scottsdale are equivalent to a four bedroom nightly rate in Scottsdale for a house. that's just as beautiful, but it's just so specific that like the girls need to stay there. That's how they view it. Like I want the ultimate bachelorette and I need to stay at the house. It's, it's just literally a no brainer. Like when I look at your listing, if I was planning my friend's bachelorette party and I was scrolling through places in Scottsdale or Nashville, I really feel like if I came across yours, it would just be like, Okay, even if it's a little bit out of budget, like we're all you're splitting it amongst so many people. Let's just all chip in an extra 50 bucks and make it work. This is exactly what we wanted. And because it's so themed, people don't have to spend as much on decorations and stuff if they don't want to. So, yeah, but I I actually really, really like your strategy to the 50 percent occupancy because. You know, I think a lot of hosts, that's the whole theme of my podcast. It's called No Vacancy. And the whole point is to get as many bookings as possible and fill up that calendar. But if you can make the same amount of money from being occupied 50% of the time as you could from being occupied 100%, go for the 50 because it's less work for you. You have less guests to manage. It's less wear and tear on the property. So yeah, if you're able to mark up that 50% of the year, those those Thursdays through Sunday nights, you know, um, Thursdays through Mondays and still come out with the same amount. I think that that's just so genius what you're doing and you're okay with that 50% occupancy. Cause you're, like you said, you've put a premium on the whole product. Um, it's so smart. Do you have a four night minimum or a three night minimum? How does that work? We do, we do three night minimum. So okay. typically we'll see either Thursday to Sunday or Friday to Monday. Okay. I see. I know that um, Scottsdale specifically, summers tend to be very slow. It's very hot there. Does your niche help you offset your seasons at all? Yeah, definitely. So in Scottsdale, the low season would be considered obviously the summer because it's super hot there. But if you think about it, that's when everyone's getting married, right? So we're still seeing that's that's our high season based on our offering. What I would consider wedding season March through end of October, but with Arizona specifically, because it's so nice in like, you know, January, February, that kind of extends that that pre-wedding season. That's when people start doing their bachelorettes because they're getting married in April, for example, and it's a beautiful time to go to Arizona. Okay. And then what are you noticing as far as that same, is that the same occurrence in Nashville or is it a totally different seasonality over there? 
I would say with Nashville, it's pretty true to just like the traditional seasonality of Nashville, right? Like I would say March to Thanksgiving is like our high season in Nashville when it comes to bachelorettes. And then it gets a little colder and, you know, it's not, it's not as um, a prime time to go to Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So I also wanted to ask you, who did the design? Who painted the murals? Was this all you guys? Or did you outsource certain things or just hire a designer that, you know, fit the scheme of what you wanted? Yeah. So I, I'm really proud to say I did the designs myself. However, okay. I did hire muralists um, for both properties. I hired local female muralists to come in and help. And we worked together on, on the overall design, but I mean, both of them did like a spectacular job and especially the Scottsdale one. I'm so obsessed with the pink Scottsdale murals. I think they're like my favorite part of the house. So that one, just to let you know, is how I found you because I found you on Instagram from like a TikTok or something. And that's the mural that popped up. Um, the Scottsdale one in your backyard, because I'm planning a conference in Scottsdale. I've just been looking at so many like things and amenities and Airbnbs and stuff there. That's how I found you. And I immediately that was the one that like pulled me in and I had to reach out to you to have you. So yeah, whoever did that one, she did an amazing job. It definitely is that scroll stopping image that you want. She's done, um, I mean, there's a ton of Scottsdale Airbnbs that have murals and she's done like a ton of them in the area. So just, you know, we wanted something very pink, yeah. very girly, and she really pulled through on it. What has been your experience so far with your social media marketing and kind of branding uh, outside of Airbnb and doing marketing online? Do you find that the it's pretty easy to repurpose content and reels that brides and bridesmaids make? Or are you setting up, you know, content creation outside of that? Yeah. So we do two content shoots, um, a year so far, and I plan to continue doing that. And that's like our main content, but a lot of the times our guests will share content to their page. I'm always resharing that on stories, but I will actually ask them if I see them share something, I will ask them for that content. So then I can use it for reels later as well. Okay. And then what has been, like I mentioned earlier, you've got the whole logo branded on your beer pong table. How did you create a logo for the place? Did you do that yourself? In what places do you utilize your logo and color palette? Yeah. So I tried to keep the color palette very consistent. Um, If you look at both of the listings, the the two bride rooms are actually like pretty much exactly the same, Um, similar beds, same colors, schemes and everything. And you'll even notice, for example, in um, Nashville, we have the, if you look at the the mural that's in Nashville, it's two arches, two different colored pink arches. Um, We took that same arch and that's one of the rooms that's in Arizona is we have the same two colors that are on the arches that are making um, the, the double queens room in our Arizona. So trying to be like consistent and pulling in the different design from Nashville into um, Scottsdale was really important. And as, as far as the logo goes, I just, I made it myself on Canva, uh, full transparency. It just, yeah. Um, yeah, similar color scheme. And I have a little cowboy boot for um, Nashville and a little cactus for Arizona on the logo. So cute. I mean, even down to like uh, all the floaties that are in your pool and stuff, do you supply those for every single guest? Like, is that just a standard house amenity or do guests bring in their own floaties? So we provide floaties at ours. Um, I do know it's not a normal, I think some Airbnbs do it, but for example, there are local bachelorette set of companies in Scottsdale that they like, that's like a service that they provide, like we'll bring them to the house for you. So one of our differentiators is that everything's already there for your perfect ultimate bachelorette party. Yeah. I mean, I remember 
like a few years ago when my whole friend group, it was like a bachelorette party every weekend. I swear I'm kind of slightly past that age now, but when it was constant bachelorette parties, we would have to bring like all these like swan floaties and flamingo floaties and the ring floaty and then figure out how we're inflating them. And that would take half of the first day just to blow up like (laughs) small things like that, that a lot of people don't realize when they're planning the party, you've taken care of it already. And I think that is so smart. Thing I wanted to ask you is about some of the rules surrounding like the typical house rules you see on Airbnb. So like no parties or events or being pet friendly. Uh, what's, what's your take on that? Is it weird to say no parties, but then also say bachelorette parties or like, how do you explain that? And also do you allow pets or not? Um, so we do not allow pets. I'll start with that. But with the parties, actually, it's funny, a coworker of mine, I told him I was going to do this podcast and I, and he asked the same thing, but I kind of think of parties as like you rent a house and you're like throwing house parties. That's this what is I like think too. Yeah, this is like girls hanging out by the pool. And it's like, if the house sleeps 12 or the house sleeps 10, like they're just, you know, they're they're likely going to be doing the same things even if it wasn't a bachelorette party, right? Yeah, okay. That's how I think about it too. But I just wonder, like, you never want to assume with guests, they might be confused. It says no parties, but we're, it says bachelorette party. Like, what do we do? But I'm I'm with you. I do get the question. I do get the question from time to time. They're like, I'm just making sure because your house rules say this or Airbnb. And I'm like, it's fine. Like, it's just yes, don't we, bring extra we people. specialize in this. It's, yeah. You're not the first bachelorette. <laughs> okay. Wait. So if you say no extra people are allowed, what if people wanted to bring like a stripper over or something, or, or we'll go more innocent, bring over a yoga instructor or like a bartender for the day or a private chef. Are there issues navigating that? Or do you kind of just trust them? So I have it in my house rules. Um, the vent, the type of vendors that are approved, especially in Arizona, because I feel like a lot of times they're just renting the house and they're staying at the house and bringing in all these different activities at the house. Whereas in Nashville, they're mostly just going to Broadway um, and doing stuff out of the house. But um, I have what type of vendors are approved and it it hasn't been a problem so far. I want to dive into this. So you just set up my next question, but these local companies that will set up bachelorette party decor for you or bring in floaties. I know you already supply those, but bring in, you know, the big bride marquee letters or a bounce Mm -hmm. house or a balloon arch. How does it work with teaming up with these local companies? What's the experience you've had? Do your guests just go out and find these or do you try to connect them and take a cut from doing that? How has that process been? Yeah. So, um, I wouldn't like, I don't operate on like a kickback with them. I think of them more of just like strategic partners. Okay. So what, thinking of when we were launching the Scottsdale house, there are a ton of local vendors that specialize in bachelorettes. So for example, a yoga company called the balance bachelorette, there's two fantastic like premium setup vendors in, in Scottsdale that I work with. Um, there are, there's a photographer, Scottsdale, uh, bride tribe who focuses on coming in and photographing your bachelorette party. So when we were launching, I did reach out to all of these companies and um, I actually organized a content shoot with local influencers. And really that's how we made our like initial connection. But now these are my preferred vendors for the house. So I'm actually, you know, letting the girls know, hey, this is who we work with. They can obviously work with, you know, whoever they want to bring in. That's fine with me. But um, to me, it's a way to partner and like support other small businesses is, is how I look at it. And that's another thing too. Like if the, you know, whatever balloon arch company showcases your listing in their portfolio, I'm sure that they 
actually, that's a good question. I'd love to know, have you gotten any bookings from any of these vendors that you've worked with? Maybe in their portfolio, people have reached out and said, I love these light up marquee letters. What location is this that it was staged at? Have you ever seen bookings come from there? Yeah. Yep. So we have, um, I have had girls reach out to let me know that they found me through, um, one of the set of companies, Instagram pages. So it's just, it's, I guess, part of my marketing strategy is that like cross pollination with the vendors, right. Cause we all are kind of hoping for that same audience to find us. So, you know, anytime we have those content shoots, it's everyone gets to use the content and we're kind of just hoping for that cross pollination across. Yeah. If that makes sense. I mean, gosh, I just, I can't stop raving about your place. You did such an outstanding job down to like the whole vanity with like the four different spots for girls to get ready and the neon sign above it. So cute. And it's just, again, like so smart to design to that group. Again, I've been at bachelorette parties and Airbnbs where we were fighting over the two bathrooms to get out of the house and go to dinner. And there was only those two mirrors and you made it just so much more convenient, so much more beautiful, so much more fun. It becomes a photo backdrop. Yeah, I just think your whole vision for this has been so genius. Thank you so much. Yeah, the beauty bar is definitely um, one of my favorite parts of the house. And I think it's an, it's a must because I, honestly, the bathrooms in Scottsdale are so small. <laughs> like need you need the extra getting ready space, definitely, especially when you're hosting 12 girls. I have a question regarding the choice to go from Nashville to Scottsdale, did it cross your mind at all to just do a second one in Nashville? You knew that that market was working well. You could probably use the same cleaner or handyman or had the same contacts. You know, did, did that cross your mind or were you dead set on, on Scottsdale? Um, so we did think about, and we still think about, should we do another location, another uh, Airbnb in, in Nashville? We do think about that, but for us, we just, we wanted a different, a different location so we can take advantage of anytime there's an availability we're there. So for us, we do still, we do look at these, like our vacation homes as well. So I think that was part of why we were like, okay, what, what other city could we do this in that we could also benefit from, you know, having a home there to enjoy ourselves too. So does your husband mind that your vacations are spent in a super hot pink girly neon place or does he not care at all? No, he doesn't care. He's, I feel like he's just as proud of the houses as I am. We both love going there. And um, I'm sure, you know, we do try to make them vacations, but I'm sure, you know, when you go to your properties, you end up kind of just doing the maintenance yes. thing. Yes. But we're grateful to get somewhere warm to go to and enjoy and obviously use the pool and all that. Have any of the bridesmaids who were also getting married ended up booking with you? Maybe the opposite location from what they stayed in? Yes. So I have not had anyone do a rebooking of like the same location, but I have had people that stayed at the Nashville book the Scottsdale because they enjoyed the experience so much. So cool. I mean, gosh, there's so much you could do with that because probably how how much, how many people do your places host? So the Nashville hosts 10 and Scottsdale hosts 12. Oh, okay. So 10 and 12. So, I mean, you've got one bride and then potentially, you know, 11 or nine other bachelorettes, Mm -hmm. like who are probably going through the same phase of life and also getting engaged soon and planning their bachelorette parties. You could offer like a little discount, I feel like, if you wanted to play that up and be like, if you liked it, you know, let me know that you're from whatever, so-and-so's bachelorette, and in the future, we'll give you 10% off your booking. You've just got like such a ongoing supply of future bookings within your groups already. So that's really, really cool. 
What issues have you ran into with the demographic you're catering to? Because they're spending a lot, it's their bachelor party, it's a huge moment. Do you find that you get a really like a very picky clientele. I don't know. Have there been like issues to balance with that? I just feel like this is such an important time in people's lives that the expectations are very, very high. Yeah. So it's funny that you say this. So yes, we do have, I have had a few bridezillas. um, And I I feel so bad saying that about my guests, but I have had a few. Um, Obviously I feel like it comes with the territory, but Um, in general, just a little more background on myself, the same year that we started the Nashville house was the same year that I got married. So I feel like I started this Airbnb journey with my bachelorette houses in that mind, that state of mind of a bride. Mm -hmm. I know it's an exciting time. I know they want everything to be perfect and I want that for them. I, I had, you know, through my own wedding planning, I, I dealt with vendors that I don't think should be in the, the wedding industry. Um, so I, when I'm communicating with my guests, I, I know that this is a very special time for it, for them. And I want everything to go as smoothly as possible. I want them to have that same experience that they're having with their other wedding vendors with me. So that's kind of like another one of, I feel like my selling points is like, you're not just staying at an Airbnb, you're staying at a bachelorette house. And this is like what I cater to. So that I think is like part of my mentality as when providing my super host experience. Well, there's, you know, maid of honors who are booking these places for their bride and they could be looking and see a ton of cute places in Scottsdale or Nashville that aren't branded to bachelorettes. And they could think, okay, I can just purchase some stuff on Amazon and, and recreate the vibe, but they're going to have to work with local vendors to do this. Cause if you're flying in, you're not going to fly with your balloon arches and, and your floaties and you know, all your accessories, you know, so they'll have to work with local vendors. And if they're not familiar with the area, they don't know where to start their search. And if you can pair them up with that and give your stamp of approval, I think that that's really, really valuable. Yeah. And I just thought of something else I think um, might be worth sharing. So what we get a lot of requests for is early check-in because the girls want to do their setups. So we run into this a lot. So that's one area where we do charge a fee for early bookings to ensure that. So like that's, that's one way that we've found um, to monetize. What's the rate that you set for that? Or how do you determine, is it per hour, per extra hour they want to come in or um, just a flat rate? So I just do it a flat rate. And the way that I do it is 50% of the previous night's rate. And I just block that out because I've already told you, like we, chances are, we're probably not going to book that week. We get like maybe one to two weekday booking. So that's like another way that we are able to monetize. It's just 50% of the previous nightly rate. And we just block it out that way. No one books it and they can get it in as early as they need. That is really, really smart. So back to our earlier point about occupancy, you know, you said you're at the 50% occupancy, but that doesn't even include the fact that if a Thursday has to get blocked off because of an early check-in, you're still booking it, booking it, quote unquote, for half the rate. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're definitely, this is just such a smart strategy Like you're almost blocking off midweek on purpose again, because it's easier to get the same group in five hours earlier, you know, than have to book an entire other group and do another quick turnaround cleaning. Very, very smart strategy there. Um, What do late checkouts look like? Is that something that's often requested? And how do you accommodate those? 
It is. I'm pretty flexible with that. If no one's check, if no, if there's not a same day check in, I just let them do the late checkout. I'm pretty flexible on that. Okay. Okay. Do you have your place set up for last minute bookings? Like, if you allowed them to come in or to stay later, is there a risk that all of a sudden, you know, it would book and you'd have to kick them out super quick? No, I have mine set to I think forty eight hours in advance. Okay. So I'll send them by the time that I send them that their their check in information. I'm like pretty certain it's not going to get booked. Okay. How about, has there been issues with like glitter or confetti or, um, I don't know, makeup staining things? Like I'm trying to think of all the girly issues that might happen. Hairspray residue on the walls. Like what are, um, or even, uh, what's it called? The circuit tripping, you know, cause there's so many hot tools plugged in. Like, Oh yeah. So that actually is a regular occurrence sure. once a week at the Arizona house is the, where's the, where's the power breaker? <laughs> so that is a regular occurrence, unfortunately. No surprise. Because um, everyone's getting ready at the same time to go out. Um, but glitter, I would say is like the main thing. That's like one of my, in my house rules, absolutely no glitter, absolutely no confetti. But from time to time we do get the the glitter and confetti and we do. Yeah. It just, at that point, you just kind of have to deal with it. I mean, at least for you guys, because you know, it is branded to this. Like I feel like if there was, if the next group checked in and there was a little bit of leftover glitter from the last group, they wouldn't really care because they're probably bringing in their own, you know, as an accessory on their cowboy hats or whatever, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. so yeah, I, I mean, that's what's so smart about niching down too is the, the problems that you might get from guests sort of, if they carry over to the next one, I don't think it's as big of a deal. Exactly. So last thing I want to ask you is what are your own goals moving forward? Are you bored of the bachelorette theme and you want to like take on something totally new and different or is it like we've we found something working we'd love to expand or are you done I know you still work your nine to five are you just thinking you've got the two places let them do their thing and that's it so we definitely want more short-term rentals that we know um I feel like we go back and forth on what we're doing next all the time but I I do see at least one more fun house in our future and then after that I I think we will do something else but we will 100% niche down like regardless because yeah we just found it it works, you know, and it doesn't have to be a bachelorette house. Like for example, like, um, if we were going to get a house close to Orlando, I would make it like a hundred percent like Disney princess theme, like something that is like very specific because I just think it works. There is someone out there who's going to like be looking for that exact thing and they will pay a premium for it. This is something that I preach a lot in my course and everything is like the power of niching. I think a lot of people are just very scared to take it on, but you've like really proved that there's there's a lot to be said about that strategy. The yeah. fact too, even like what you mentioned about how you can charge the same as a four bedroom house, that's insane that you've created like a whole extra bedroom worth of value just in decor, just in yeah. wall paintings, wallpaper, neon signs. That's so I impressive. Think, I think it's um I think it's an emotional purchase. That's kind of like how I think of it. So it's kind of like when you, and like I said, I rolled right into this with my bride brain because I just got married. And then a month later we bought the Airbnb. It's like when you're a bride, you're willing to spend more on things that like, I almost like lost my mind. I'm like, we're spending this much on flowers. That's crazy. You're spending this much on this. It's crazy. And then it just kind of rolls right into that bachelorette house. It's like, just want everything to be exactly how you envisioned it. And like, 
it's an emotional purchase almost and you're willing to pay a premium. Bachelorettes specifically are such a smart thing to niche down into because I always try to think about like, why would somebody book an Airbnb over a hotel? If someone's just going to Scottsdale for like a business trip, they're going to book a hotel. But bachelorette parties are always going to book the Airbnb because they want to stay together in one place. Mm -hmm. And so specifically catering to that as a short-term rental, I think is very smart too. Um, So not just the niche itself, but picking the right niche in the right area. There's a lot of strategy behind that. Definitely. I, I think the really big takeaway here is that I just want to drive home that point about the occupancy because there is just such a something to be said for we're okay being unbooked half the year and having less stress, less turnaround, less wear and tear, less chance for accidents, less guests to deal with. And we're still making the same, if not more, because we're able to charge such a premium on this product. It's okay that we're not getting those weekday bookings because there are other ways to monetize this, like the early check-in, the, you know, the extended, like the workaround of low season. Like we just, it's, it's worked out well for us. Yeah. I, I, I really, that's like what I really hope people take away from the episode, honestly, because when I looked at your listing, that was kind of my first thing is like, I really do believe in niching down and see the value in it. But again, you're giving, you're like intentionally giving up so much of your calendar. So that makes me nervous, but I think you have the perfect outlook on it. You only have to host half of the year and you're, you know, you're, you're, making the same amount, I would argue you're probably making more than what you would if you weren't branded in anything. And I'm just really excited to follow any future properties you you take on or whatever other niches you come up with. I'm sure they'll be amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Vanessa, where can people connect with you or book your places? If anyone out there listening is engaged and is planning their bachelorette party, please go check out her her listings. They're just both both of them are so cute. You did such a good job. Thank you. Um, well, we're mainly booking through Airbnb right now, um, but you can always find us on Instagram, um, the Arizona properties, uh, Femhouse AZ, and then the Nashville is at Femhouse Nash. Okay. Okay. I'll link those in the show notes and everything too, but go wish list Vanessa's listings. Even if you're not planning to book your bachelorette party, show her some love on those in the algorithm. Thank you again, Vanessa, so much for answering all our questions and being here and good luck to you. Of course. Thanks so much, Natalie. Bye. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole? This story I found is a little bit hard to follow, but it's on a website where people vent about Airbnb, I guess. And so I managed to find this story here from July of this year. It sounds to me like the guest who posted this booked a shared room situation. So they booked one room in a house and there was other tenants and Airbnb renters in the other rooms. So keep that in mind as I read this. All right, this person wrote, I will start off by saying that this Airbnb listing did not mention that pets were in the apartment. So I was both shocked and pleasantly surprised. I like animals when I saw two small dogs outside on the patio. They were puppies. I don't mind dogs and I just thought that they belonged to the owner. Turns out that the owner did not live there and no one owned the dogs. There was one guy renting there who I think was supposed to look after the dogs, but he was gone sometimes all day, most of the nights. I don't know if he had a job, but while the dogs were getting food and water, they were not getting walked and would constantly cry for attention. 
The neighbors would knock on the door and leave notes telling us that the dogs were crying. There were three adults in the apartment who were gone for most of the day. The poor dogs were not getting the best care. The other tenant in the apartment and I offered to walk them, but they had no leashes. Cut to later in the week, two people came into the flat to adopt one of the dogs. Okay, so the owner breeds dogs and then dumps them in her Airbnb until they can be adopted. That's a pretty shitty thing to do to the dogs. There were some other odd things about the place as well. The place looked like it was being lived in by someone else entirely. The kitchen had random family photos, none of which included the host itself. There were boxes full of stuff, luggage in the closets. Bathrooms were stocked with a bunch of half-used toiletries. It felt like a dumping ground which someone never really moved out of. There was no transparency, and neither the random guy or the host ever explained what was up with the dog situation. That's the end. That is what they wrote. And what? Someone was breeding dogs and then just dumped them at their shared Airbnb rental until they would get adopted and just expected that the guests were going to take care of them? These poor little puppies. I... I I don't know. You guys, we need to like organize a campaign and, and adopt them. But then that's just going to encourage this host to keep doing that. Uh, what? I don't know. I don't, I, I found this on some like random blog where people vent about Airbnb situations. I'm having a hard time believing this one. I know that there's some crazy shit out there that happens, especially with short-term rentals. Like obviously when you let strangers stay in your house and when strangers stay in strangers' houses, Sometimes things are going to go wrong and be weird, but what I don't get is how this, this hasn't been shut down yet. If this rental is presumably, it seemed to me like it was a four bedroom. I don't really know where I'm getting that from. She didn't say that, but that's just kind of the way I'm imagining it. It seems like this is a four bedroom rental. So if there's consistently four people at a time there, how has no one called Airbnb and complained about this? It's just... That's just so odd. Like, what if someone had a dog allergy or something and they said that it wasn't disclosed at all? I mean, they're probably not house trained yet or anything. This is just so bizarre to me how the listing is still up. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of skeptical that this actually is a real one. But if it is, obviously the host is the Airbnb hole there. And without a doubt, Airbnb is also the Airbnb hole here because I just there's no way that Airbnb has not gotten complaints about this. And if they have and this listing is still up, Airbnb is definitely in the wrong. Take this listing down, ban this host from being able to rent. I don't care how much of an animal lover any of these potential guests may be, it is so wrong to let them check into a place that they think is just a shared room to then find that it is a dumping ground for, I'm guessing, illegally bred dogs. This is so, so inappropriate. This host needs to be banned. They are the Airbnb hole. Airbnb, get on top of it if this is real. And guests who have stayed in this place, do your part to review accordingly and and help get these kind of listings taken down. This is so wrong. And guests who just stand by and don't share their experience are contributing to listings like this staying up. So if the guests are not reporting it, they're also the Airbnb holes. Frankly, the only non-Airbnb holes I think in this story are the puppies. They're the only innocent ones. There you go. That's my ruling. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next week. 
lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.